Welcome to the Crossing Thin Ice podcast from Actuarial Risk Management. I'm Dave Ingram, and as always, I'm joined by Max Rudolph. Together, we bring risk management insights to help you with your everyday job of crossing the thin ice of your business environment. Today, Max is going to lead us through a look at narrative scenarios. These multi-risk scenarios can provide major insights about a firm's resilience that you do not necessarily get from single risk scenarios or even with stochastic models. Let's get started. Risks interact, adding higher order effects that can be positive or negative. Building a narrative scenario allows each risk, for example, credit and interest rates during a recession caused by a European war, to be aggregated in a consistent fashion. Climate teams use this technique to look at various greenhouse gas concentration scenarios and align them with their economic ramifications. Scenarios with risk interactions. The last few years have been unprecedented with events condensed into short periods of time that would normally take years to play out. Who could have imagined simultaneously dealing with a global pandemic, major weather events driven by global warming, forced migration, cyber hacking, wildfires, and a war with the potential to intensify and widen. These events could lead to food insecurity, regional conflicts, volatility in the markets, and other risk events tied to geopolitical and environmental risks. With foresight, these risks can be anticipated and planned for. Even if the plans focus on events that don't end up occurring, the value due to thinking about options and reactions will prove useful. Traditionally, both regulators and internally generated scenarios focused on either single risk scenarios or economic capital models that attempted to mix all risks stochastically. There are pros and cons to each. First, the traditional scenario. Single risk scenario is easy to grasp and segregates the results. This makes it easier to understand and isolate problems. There are fewer moving parts. These scenarios are extremely useful for silo risk management purposes, but fall short when trying to manage a group of risks and worries about insolvency. Current practice, even for these purposes, could be improved. Concentration risk is typically not analyzed. Assuming that the largest asset in the portfolio defaults, a leading reinsurer is insolvent, or the largest group life contract suffered a correlated mortality event would be very useful and can often be quantified easily without a lot of modeling. Regulators and boards might expect this as part of an ORSA, the Own Risk Solvency Assessment filing, with analysis determining if concentration risk is worrisome. Now for economic capital. Principle-based reserves and regulatory capital are often prepared by running stochastic models that include interactions between risks, either through a correlation matrix or by using brute force. These scenarios generally fail to incorporate non-financial risks, and attempts to limit scenarios to those likely to, uh, to occur are unlikely to succeed. Methods used are biased. For example, is historical data predictive, or does it describe unknown knowns? We lose insight by adding margins first rather than using best estimate distributions. Results of interactions may not represent reality. Combining scenarios into narratives 
where individual risk assumptions must align with the general scenario story requires the analyst or modeler to think in new ways. For example, if a scenario indicates a recession, defaults are likely to increase. If war continues in Ukraine, food insecurity is likely to increase and inflation to rise as the supply chain is stressed and food costs increase. Building these dependent scenarios requires the analyst to think in terms of a broad narrative to describe the scenario. A benefit to this method is that it is easier to explain to senior management and board members. The IPCC, meaning the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, developed a set of narrative scenarios based on the economic ramifications of specific greenhouse gas or GHG use. One that assumes a large amount of GHG and the resulting global warming, say three degrees Celsius by 2100, a narrative scenario might combine a 0% GDP projection, high insurance claims, high default spreads, high mortality and morbidity, and high government spending on infrastructure rather than on education, health, or a social safety net. These all clearly impact insurers as institutional investors, but what about more directly? Could current events be leading to problems for liabilities? Here are some examples of risks interactions to consider. Rollback of stimulus leads to deep recessions in the developed world, leads to low interest rates, maybe even negative nominal rates, leads to profitability concerns for account value-driven products with interest guarantees like universal life and deferred annuities. Strengthening dollar leads to weakening of the Chinese yuan, leads to economic and political turmoil inside China. Demographic shift to an older population leads to reduced driving and more driverless technology, leads to overcrowding in retirement states, leads to economic hardship in states with no state tax, leads to poor infrastructure, leads to high morbidity and mortality. War in Ukraine leads to increased populism, leads to increased terrorism, leads to regional instability, leads to forced migration and food insecurity. Government stimulus leads to low interest rates, leads to insurers reaching for yield, leads to investments in new asset classes without a full cycle of historical data. Unwinding of stimulus leads to recession, leads to defaults. Now, in conclusion, economic capital and single risk scenarios serve useful purposes, but multi-risk consistent scenarios create a narrative and broaden the discussion around solvency risk. Insurers are typically prepared for a single event and perhaps more. It is a cascade of events that create a concern about survival. Insurers should prepare in advance and narrative scenarios provide a valuable tool. Before we move on to part two of today's podcast, we want to tell you about the ARM Actuarial Data and Modeling Institute that supports a wide variety of actuarial tasks. Dave, actuarial modeling is fast becoming a highly specialized, sophisticated, and critical function as insurance regulations, products, and assets become increasingly complex. To keep up with this rapidly changing environment, insurers are challenged to recruit and retain resources 
and to implement the technology needed to accurately model their businesses to inform critical management decisions that drive stakeholder value. Well, Max, the ARM Data and Modeling Institute provides insurers a modern solution to their actuarial modeling needs, backed by ARM's network of highly experienced consultants the ARM DMI supports clients in all modeling applications, including statutory and gap reporting, capital management, product development, business planning, M&A, IFRS 17, LDTI, PBR, actuarial systems implementation, and conversion. You should explore how your business can benefit from the latest actuarial modeling technology. ARM will work with you every step of the way to provide you with reporting, capital management, product development, and business planning actuarial modeling expertise. Contact ARM today. Now, back to our podcast. Where, where did you get this? Where did you see this concept of narrative scenarios? Well, a few years ago, I, I co-authored a, a paper on low economic growth and we, we featured a, a section on scenarios as, as part of that. And as we were doing our, our research, we found these, these narratives were being used within the, the climate change scenarios, as well as some purely economic work as well, mainly by uh, NGOs the, you know, that were trying to determine you know, how you would spend money on education and healthcare and things like that and make sure it could be supported by economic growth. So they got into all those things and they forced all the assumptions to be consistent with each other to where they're, they're very powerful, but they're, they're very complex. I mean, we, we actually found some, some errors in some of the work that they did because they, they weren't totally consistent. But it was really interesting and a real eye-opener for me. So if we looked at all different kinds of events, uh, what do you see as kind of a, a, a real worst-case scenario, that, you know, kind of a totally devastating the world event that, that's uh, not outside the range of possibility though. Yeah. And in the last um, just over 200 years ago, uh, we had a super volcano erupt uh, in Indonesia that created what was called the, uh, the year without a summer. So you had all that uh, sulfate going into the, into the air blocking the sun and so cooled the earth. And, and unfortunately, you know, you had global crop failures. Uh, and those lasted for a couple of years and, and there, you know, it was, it was a tough time to, to get by. You didn't see a lot of um, high growth or, or a lot of things happening there. And it, it led to, at least in the United States, to, uh, you know, uh, one of the early depressions uh, with the East Coast uh, having some issues. Now, I'm thinking that I'm going to write an article about this in, in the next issue. So, I'll, I'll get into it more there, but uh, in terms of things that you could do, um, you know, we could we could store more grain, um, you know, and, and keep more food set aside uh, in terms of you know kind of that rainy day fund. Um, on on the insurance side specifically, uh, if we had that happen, I, I think uh, you know we're we're entering a stagflation environment today with where. Uh, you know, inflation and, and interest rates are rising. Um, but that doesn't mean that we won't be going back to uh, low interest rates or even negative interest rates in the future. And I think uh, 
a super volcano and the slowing of growth and and all the things that go along with that the food insecurity uh that those would all lead to to low interest rates and and that um the nominal guarantees that we have for for the life and annuity products you know would would be something that the uh, regulators really should be be looking at at some point to switch those to to real rates so um it, it sounds like looking at an awful lot of negative scenarios do they have to be negative that, that you look out here yeah no no of course not um it, it's a, a little bit easier to come up with negative scenarios oftentimes you know in terms of you know what could happen and and sometimes if you can can scare somebody with a negative scenario, then you can get them to, to look at those negative or positive scenarios as well. It's, it's just like, uh, you know, the old tagline that we came up with there that one time risk is opportunity, you know, risk is, is two-sided volatility is two-sided. Um, you have positive as well as negative. Um, so, you know, a positive scenario in that set of eight that I talked about could be, you know, high economic growth, low energy prices and, and harmony between nations. And, and we've had that in the past uh, and, and could have it again. So it's, it's worthwhile for um, companies and for risk managers to think from a strategic standpoint, you know, out 10 years or more thinking about, well, how could I take advantage of this scenario? Sometimes it's a negative scenario that you can take advantage of. I mean, cyber hacking is, is horrible. I hate it, but you know, there's, there's companies out there that that provides a service for them to to find customers um so you know could go a lot of different ways the the scenarios do tend to cycle over time you don't stay in the same scenario all the time it's it's a little bit like your your erm futures that you know things happen and then something new happens and then people react to it and so these these scenarios tend to to cycle over time I think that would have helped that uh, slow growth company that I once worked for that uh, had they imagined, you know, what if the world's a little bit better than what we hope for and maybe imagined doing something more aggressive during that time, uh, you know, maybe they wouldn't have uh, had such low growth. Um, but isn't it a, a lot of work thinking through the consequences? It, wouldn't it be a lot easier just to, you know, pick the most likely scenario and, and plan for that? Yeah, it's it's easier, but but you're not going to be right. I mean, I, I think you know we've got some examples in the past where, you know, I did a low interest rate paper back in 2015, where one of the key points we made was looking at different products and showing that the universal life secondary guarantee product in particular was really just a uh, an interest option, and that if interest rates went down, that was going to be a very negative performing product. Um, you know, we really didn't get any comments back on that. Companies continued to write it. Uh, but over the last year or two, we're seeing a lot of M&A business working around those products in particular as, as people are, are unloading it. And, and I don't think they're getting much for it, maybe even are having to pay somebody to take it. Um, so, you know, one person's problem is another person's opportunity, I suppose. But, you know, and, and then we, we looked at pandemic risk, you know, coming, you know, Dave, you were part of this, this group that back in, you know, 2003, 2004, coming out of SARS, who were kind of looking at, well, what does this mean going forward? You know, this isn't going to be the last pandemic we ever see. And, and I go back and, you know, when we got to 2020, I went back and read some of the things that I wrote back in 2004, 2006, and, you know, publicly available 
uh, information. And, you know, it was, you know, supply chain issues, it was asset issues, it was um, not necessarily mortality. And it all depended on, you know, what was the age group of the of the people that were going to pass away, you know, in terms of the life insurance company what was going to impact it. Now, you had the business interruption risk that, that came up in 2020 on the on the uh, casualty side that you know, we certainly didn't anticipate, but that seems to be playing out as as it should in 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 the courts with with people saying read your, read your contract. You know, it was it was pretty clear. You know, coming back to thinking through the consequences of that narrative scenario, you're, you're not going to be right. Thinking about those alternatives, it's it's a lot like the the Eisenhower quote. You know, and and I I think he made this probably right after World War II when he was obviously the key person with the. Uh, D-Day invasion plan, where he, he made the comment that it's not the actual plan that you come up with, it's thinking about all the alternatives, because as, as soon as you start initiating the plan, there's another side out there too, and, and they're going to disrupt that plan. It's not going to play out exactly as you, as you had hoped it would. And that's the value of, of having the plan, is having thought about, well, what would I do if? If this doesn't work, what are my other options? How do, how do I still succeed uh, for that? But those, those alternatives, you know, it, it's like a tree and, and it can get very complex over time. But if, if you only come up with one plan with one set of branches you know, out to the end, that one's probably not going to happen. Like Tw- Tyson's version of that saying was everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. You can see that it actually makes sense, though, to, to say, well, that, that's a good argument for having a plan, because once you've been punched in the mouth and you're a little bit groggy, if you have some previous thinking to fall back on, you're in better shape than if you're trying to come up with a, a brilliant thing to think of right then. Right. Yeah. You're a little bit of a brain fog after Mike Tyson hits you in the head, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's another one of the really good quotes around risk from risk management that, that I really like. Stories are the most effective way to engage humans, to transport them outside of the here and now and into another time and place. Narrative scenarios are the stories that do that for risk managers. We believe that if you try working through your potential options for management reactions to several narrative scenarios, you will see a tangible benefit at some time in your future in terms of your management team's ability to respond to an unusual situation. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Crossing Thin Ice, presented by Actuarial Risk Management. If you found it valuable, please like and subscribe.